Our scripture reading from the Old Testament comes from the book of Isaiah. We're going to be reading responsively from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 10. And then we will be reading from the gospel according to John chapter 9, verses 8 through 41. Hear the word of the Lord. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come and save you. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty grounds springs of water. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And now from the gospel according to John, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 41 and not just 13 through 41 as is printed in your bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. 
But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. By the way, we've just heard the choir sing. These children are going to the classes. You need to know, we've just, as we talked about celebrating the Reformation, you need to know that usually in churches before the Reformation, congregations did not sing. There were chants led by the leaders in the church but the reformers were convinced that the congregation needed to be singing. That that's why the book of Psalms was written. And so they began to learn the Psalms and sing them. They began to write hymns like 
Calvins that we sang this morning. Do you know how they taught the congregation? They taught the children to sing the hymns, and the children sang them for the congregation, and the congregation learned the hymns from the children. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? We're in the Gospel of John, working our way through that great book. We're in chapter 9, obviously. The first few verses of chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Two weeks ago, my last time in this pulpit, we looked at those few verses and went through the details of Jesus healing this man. But what follows next is almost the entire chapter. The world around this man dealing with the fact that he could now see. And who was to get the credit for that? A debate takes place. We're going to look at that debate this morning. And we're going to listen to this man give his testimony about what Jesus had done for him. Before we do that, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests. All of us are priests. If we know you, if we know Christ, you've called us to be priests. You call us, Father, to be in a way, prophets, every week leaving here and going out into the world and taking your word and taking your gospel into the world and being salt and light in that world. But when we come back here, you call us to be priests, bringing the world around us to you in prayer, bringing our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our grandparents, our neighbors, our friends, our work. We come as priests, laying these things before you, asking of you on their behalf. Our Father, thank you for how you've answered our prayers in the past, in this past year. People all over this congregation could stand and give their testimony as to how you have blessed them through the prayers of God's people here at Christ's covenant. This week we pray in thanksgiving for the successful surgery on John Albritton. We pray that as he continues in rehab that you'll continue to bring healing. For John Warren, oh Father, thank you for that successful surgery. And we pray for healing hour after hour, day after day. Restore John's health completely. We pray for Larry Geiswhite and Laura Bell as they grieve you taking their mother home. Our Father, bless them. Wipe away the tears. We pray for Kathy Bolding as she grieves at the death of Richard Andrews. We pray for David Mattingly. Father, thank you for how you've answered prayers, and we pray that you would continue to improve his health. Give the doctors a keen interest in him and this illness. 
We pray that that will be identified and that definite answers will be given and that, Father, you would bring healing. We thank you for how you've blessed Jan Gwynn as he received treatment this week. We pray that, Father, this infection, these treatments would bring an end to this infection. We pray for Joan Schaefer, for Eileen Wood, for Phil and Sally Halley. Father, in all these facts, you know them and you know the details. You know their needs better than we do or they do. And so we ask that you would bring healing. And now we pray that you would teach us. Our father, John Sartell, cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. He can't preach so that we'll be changed in the core of our being. That has never happened and never will happen. Our Father, once more, we cast ourselves upon your grace. And you're our Father, we're your children, and we're asking very simply that you would teach us this morning. Tell us this story from John chapter 9 one more time and make it clear, make it clear, Father, to us. When we leave here in a few minutes, will we know, oh, Father, may we know that our Father in heaven has taught us once more. For the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. A man healed from blindness twice. What is your testimony about Jesus? What is it? Your personal testimony about Jesus. What is it? That's the question before the house. What is our testimony, yours and mine? This man that Jesus healed, a man blind from birth, a beggar, was called to the witness stand in this chapter over and over and over again this morning we'll look at his testimonies as he was asked the question what is your testimony about Jesus he returns from washing away the mud pack Jesus had placed on his eyes he was a Completely different man. He could see. The people were incredulous. They were so unbelieving and incredulous. This this can't happen. And some of them said, well, it's really not him. That must be a brother or it must be a cousin that looks like him. But look at verse 9. The man answered in his first moment of testimony, I am the man. It's me. That's the first instance of this man giving his personal testimony. I am the man who was blind. 
So what's the natural question? How is it that you can see? His testimony continues. In verse 11, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. That's the second part of his testimony of what had happened to him. This is what Jesus did for me. A man named Jesus did this. So what do they do? They take him to the Pharisees. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Why? Why did they do that? Well, there had been an ongoing fierce debate between the Pharisees and Jesus. It started way back in chapter 7 at the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Tabernacles. We saw that. And it not only doesn't end with chapter 7, it goes right on through chapter 8. And now the battle is still being waged in chapter 9. Except there's a difference. In chapter 7 and 8, it was Jesus debating the Pharisees. Here Jesus takes no part in this investigation of this man being healed. Jesus doesn't say a thing. He's not debating with the Pharisees. But a man who has been a blind beggar, a nobody, is debating the brilliant theologues of the Sanhedrin. In bringing the man to the Pharisees, the confrontation takes on a legal aspect. For the last year, these men from the highest Jewish court in the land, the Sanhedrin, had been accusing Jesus of a sin. He healed He had done it before. He healed on the Sabbath, which was against their laws. Now, there was no law in the Old Testament, let's be clear, that forbade Jesus from healing, from doing this wonderful, merciful thing. But their laws about the Sabbath had become very, very strict. And by their laws, he should not be doing this. And they argued, this proves he's not a Messiah. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's a wicked man. He's a sinful man. Well, here in chapter 9, Jesus has done it again. Look at verse 14. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud... And open his eyes. Now the negotiators in the room, the ambassadors here, would say, Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you have to go and do that? You could have waited the next day and healed the man. 
and have avoided this controversy. Well, you know how Jesus would answer that? The issue was his identity, who he was. He had claimed to be one with the Father, one with God. He had claimed to be, get this, he had told them that he was Lord of the Sabbath. He was God of the Sabbath. To wait until the next day would have been backing away from his claim. He was trying to open their eyes to their own blindness. It was ludicrous to think that they could perform circumcision on the Sabbath. That was all right by their laws. To do other religious works on the Sabbath. But to heal a paralytic or a blind man, that was evil. It's against the law. So the investigation by the Pharisees into this miracle, it begins. They brought him to the Pharisees. They said he was healed on the Sabbath. So the investigation begins. They ask him the same question his neighbors ask him. How did you receive your sight? And the beggar gave the same answer that he had given the crowd. Same answer. A man named Jesus put mud on my eyes. I went to Salaam and washed. Some of the Pharisees said, Jesus is a sinner. Thus, he's not from God. He's not the Messiah. Now, some others there said to the Pharisees, there was a division in the crowd. How can a sinner do such signs? You say he's a sinner, but how can he do such miracles? So the Pharisees, to keep from asking that question, actually turned to the beggar. Now get this. Here are these theologues from the sand. You've got to look at this. And we all always do this with Scripture. To look at it. It's amusing sometimes to look. They didn't answer the question, how can this man do it if he's a sinner? They just avoided that. They turned to the beggar. Now, this is a man who's been blind. Every day he comes and begs. And they ask him, tell us your opinion of Jesus. There's in verse 17. What do you say about him? Now, get this. He couldn't be the Messiah. But they're turning to a blind beggar to get directions about who Jesus is. So, his testimony is given again. But it's changing. How did it begin? I'm the man. I I was a blind man. Second part of the testimony, a man named Jesus put mud pack on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I came back seeing. Then he repeats that, thirdly, his third testimony. He repeats that testimony to the Pharisees. But now he adds. Look at it. He adds. He must be a prophet. That's who he is. A prophet. Well, the Pharisees came up with another answer. They refused to believe that he had been blind. They called into question, well, this really didn't happen. This is trickery. He really wasn't blind. Look at verse 18. 
So what did the Pharisees do? They put the man's parents on the stand. They brought them to make a testimony. Is this your son? Yes. Was he blind? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Who gave him sight? And the parents say, we don't know. Now, of course they knew. This had been the greatest thing that had ever happened in their family. But this was an official body, a powerful body, the Sanhedrin, that had already ruled that if anyone became a follower of Jesus, they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. Some of the parents said, yes, he was blind, blind from birth. Well, who healed him? We don't know. He's an adult. Jesus turned it. He's an adult. Go ask him. So they put the beggar back on the stand. Give the glory to God, they told him. This man, Jesus, is a sinner. So this is a man's, the fifth part of his testimony. We've heard the, the fourth. And his answer is classic. It's the one that made him famous. In verse 25, he answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What an answer. I just know this. I was blind, been blind all my life, and now I see. They ask him again how Jesus did it. And he says, I've told you. I've told you. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he said, verse 27, he said, do you want to become his disciples? Now they're really angry. Their investigation is on the rocks. They resort. What happens when, you're, when somebody gets defeated? It's being their, their argument goes on the rocks. What do they do? They resort to insults. We do that. I do that. And they resorted, resorted to insults. You're a beggar. A follower, and you're a follower of Jesus and a beggar. We're the spiritually elite. We're the educated scholars. We are the Pharisees. We're the followers of Moses. They said all of these things. Who do you think you are? Now, they were the ones that asked him, but all he was doing was answering their questions. So then they excommunicate him. They throw him out of the synagogue. I don't know about you, but I got to this point, I just have to sit back, and I wanted to cheer the man. I wanted to say, way to go. Think about it. This blind beggar had gone toe-to-toe with the religious elite of Jerusalem. This was not Jesus. It was him. He had owned up to being a blind beggar. He had testified that Jesus had been the one giving him sight. He had testified under pressure that Jesus had to be at least a prophet of God. He had finally said that Jesus had to be from God, for no one in the history of the world had made blind people to see like Jesus did. That man had a testimony that he could proudly give his children and proudly give his grandchildren. He could say to his grandchildren, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. 
I was blind. I was blind all my life. Decades. And Jesus came and he put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash. Jesus gave me sight. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? I was blind and Jesus made me see. I have news for you. Are you a Christian this morning? Serious question. Are you a Christian this morning? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of sinners? I ask your testimony. Do you love him? Then you have, if you answer those questions, yes, then you have a greater testimony than this man who was blind from birth. This former beggar to whom Jesus gave physical sight. If that is your testimony, that you believe he's the son of God, the savior of sinners, and you've rested on him for salvation and you love him. Then you have a greater testimony. You say, how can that be? Well, let's go back to the man again. Do you realize when we left the story, do you realize this man had not demonstrated saving faith? He had not. Faith that changes and saves forever. He had not experienced that. What is saving faith? It's not being able to see physically with your eyes. Saving faith is not that you've taken up righteous causes in the area of racial prejudice. Saving faith is not that you have fought against trafficking of young girls being held in slavery for sexual purposes. Saving faith is not that you have fought against the tyranny of Marxist governments. Maybe you've gone. Maybe you were an addict and you've gone into a drug program operated on Christian principles. And now you're free from drug addiction. That's not saving faith. All of those, all of those actions we just mentioned are wonderful Noble endeavors, we ought to be involved in those endeavors, but they are not saving faith. Up to this point, this man had not experienced saving faith. He had been miraculously healed by Jesus. He had experienced an incredible physical miracle. He had confessed that he was the man that Jesus healed. He had insisted that Jesus healed him. He had called Jesus a prophet, but none of those things or saving faith. Let me tell you a story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a miracle that took place in, the, in Jesus' early ministry. There was a paralytic. He couldn't walk. He depended on someone to carry him wherever he went. And so four men Hearing that Jesus was in town, 
carried this man, this paralytic, to Jesus. And they place him down right in front of Jesus. And of course, Jesus didn't have to ask, what do you want me to do? They wanted him to heal their friend. He didn't have to ask the man, what can I do for you? He knew the man wanted to be healed. But Jesus did not immediately heal him. He looked at the man and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now what do we take from that? What do we take from that? If you're standing there, what do you take from that? Jesus was saying, you have a greater need than to be healed of your paralysis. You have a greater need than your awful physical condition. Now stop and think about that statement. That's what Jesus was saying. Is that true? Do you believe, and I'm asking this of you this morning, I'm asking this of me this morning. Do you believe the man's condition, that paralytic's condition, was absolutely the very worst thing about his life? Do you believe the man's condition as a sinner, just deserving God's judgment, was far more serious than his paralysis? That's what Jesus was saying. You've got something wrong with you, mister. And it's much worse than that paralysis. And Jesus looked at him. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. I still remember the first time I read that. Long years ago. I was in my 20s when I read that. I read and I said, that would be frustrating. I'm lying there paralytic and Jesus said, my sins are forgiven. Most of the world today would probably say, just forget about the forgiveness of sin. Just heal my paralysis, dang it. Well, Jesus looked at him and said, so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Take up your bed, get up, stand up, fold up your bed, and walk home. And the man did. Jesus healed the man twice that day. He healed him spiritually. When God himself says, your sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. It would, of course, involve a cross. It would involve a resurrection. It would involve the Holy Spirit changing the man's heart and bringing faith to his life. But Jesus, the Son of God, declared his sins forgiven. And then he healed him physically. Now go back to the episode recorded in John 9. The man is cast out of the synagogue. That was a big deal. That's where we left him. That was a big deal. Remember the man's parents refused to confess that Jesus healed their son because they feared that if they said Jesus did it, that they would be cast out of the synagogue. Go back to verse 21. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now that not only meant a kind of social exile, that's bad enough. It also meant a spiritual lostness. The synagogue was removing his any hope, was removing his hope of salvation. What happened next after they cast him out? The first few words of verse 35 are some of my favorite in the New Testament. Jesus heard, quote, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. Now that is an incredible statement about God and salvation. Jesus seeks out the man, this poor blind, former blind man who had been a beggar all his life. Jesus seeks him out. The son of God and son of man seeks him out. Wouldn't you love to say, Jesus came looking for me? Wouldn't you love to say that? Jesus came looking for me. So why was Jesus looking for him? To ask him a question. What did Jesus ask him? Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, we have mentioned this probably a hundred times as we started our study in John. Son of Man was the title Jesus chose in speaking of himself more than any other title. Most of the time he called him, didn't call himself the Son of God. He did that, but that was not what he used most frequently. More than any other term, he didn't say, I'm the Lord. He said, I am the Son of Man. It was a claim to be Messiah. Daniel, in his prophecy in the Old Testament, told of a vision that he had seen. And here was the Ancient of Days on his throne in glory. And one like a son of man was brought before him. And we read that he was given dominion. This son of man was given dominion and given a kingdom and giving a glory. And the whole earth was to serve him and worship him. Well, Jesus looks into the eyes of the beggar and asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? And in verse 36, he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. So Jesus sought him out. You've got to stop here. Think about it. Just think about it. Jesus sought him out for what reason? To see how he was doing? As a, were his eyes functioning all right? No. He sought him out to ask a question. Is it really that important? Why did Jesus ask this question? Because the man's greatest issue still remained. Yes, he had been blind and could now see. Physically. But Jesus understood the beggar had a more dangerous condition. He could now see physically, but could he see spiritually? The Pharisees could see physically, just like the beggar. But they were blind as bats when it came to Jesus. Are you blind? Am I blind to Jesus? They could not see spiritually. The man now was looking at Jesus physically. 
but he also saw him spiritually. The question before him was the same question Jesus puts before us. Before anyone who encounters him, when Jesus seeks you out, that is the question he's going to ask more than any other. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe I'm the Son of Man, the Son of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That man could say, Jesus came looking for me, and he asked me the question, most important question in the world. The grandchild says, well, what did he ask you? He had made you to see. He asked me if I believed in him. And the man answered, Read it there. Lord, I believe. And it just wasn't an intellectual ascent. It was that. It's not just a, a leap of faith in the dark. It was that. Lord, I believe. I know. But then he added, the writer added, and he worshiped him. He loved him. He adored him. It was a heartfelt love. He was saying, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. What happened? Jesus healed the blind man twice. He had healed him of physical blindness. That did not save him. This message, this message is very challenging to me. If it does not challenge you, you don't understand. You see, the real subject of the whole scene is saving faith. A spiritual blindness. If you read this passage through the eyes of Jesus, you must say that physical blindness was not the man's greatest problem. Now, most of the world today, the secular world around us, when they hear us say that, is going to say, you have lost your mind. This man spent his life in the humiliating task of begging because he was blind. If you leave here this morning thinking his physical blindness, you say deep down in, you know, John was just over-spiritualizing this. Physical blindness was his greatest hindrance, was his greatest problem. Let me tell you. If you leave here thinking that, you are at odds with Jesus Christ. And he is the Son of Man and the Son of God. Here's the test. Here's the test. Do you want a test? If you can see that Jesus is the Son of God and Son of Man, and if you can see his cross, and if you can see his resurrection... And you can look at it and say, that's the greatest sight I've ever seen. That bloody cross is the greatest, most wonderful sight I've ever seen. Because it's my salvation. 
That's my sin for which he died. That's my hell that he's enduring. That is my salvation. There's no way you can see that and know that apart from saving faith. When you can do that, then you know that God has wrought a greater work in you than Jesus did in making this man to see physically. You can say, Jesus came looking for me, and he asked me if I believed him to be the Son of God and Son of Man, and I believed, and I love him. As feeble as I am, and as often as I fail, I worship him. And I'll be back here next Lord's Day to worship Him again. And I'll worship Him all week. And when I fail, I'll return and I'll repent and I'll worship Him more. Now we're going to sing and tell the world that we can see. Don't take your hymnals yet. We're going to sing a great hymn. We've sung it literally hundreds and hundreds of times. When I survey the wondrous cross, Do you know what the word survey means? To see. When I see the wondrous cross, we're going to sing about our wonder and our love for the cross of Jesus Christ.